<clears throat> Let's read in Zechariah 9, verses 9. We're not going to read. There's not that many verses today, but I just want to show you uh, just what Zechariah is speaking on to the people at that time. He says this, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nation. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, right? I think this is the first thing I want us to kind of look at is this anticipation. You have to remember during this time as what Zechariah is saying to the people, he's asking him to rejoice for the king is here. Sometimes when we hear that and we see that, that is something really difficult. Because for the people there at that time hearing from Zechariah, they were returning from exile. They were returning, rebuilding the temple, the walls. They were seeing all these things. And they were coming back. They were away in exile for 70 plus years. And for them to return back to see of a nation without a real king, without really a wall, a, a, a country, a name for themselves, it was not easy. And I wonder, even as we hear this, as they heard it the first time, rejoice for the king is here. It may not be as what we could really see and touch and feel. That what they saw was not as glorious as what they perhaps heard of how the temple was, who God was, their, their nation during the king, reign of King David or Solomon. They perhaps didn't see the glories of God. They perhaps saw this felt being banished away. And that is what they heard. This is what they're hearing as Zechariah is giving them encouragement. Rejoice. But in the, in the whole thing is that there's a tension of the realities of the hardships that they may be going through. And the hardships of coming back, rebuilding, being attacked by enemies, being belittled, what we see in other areas of scripture when they come back and they're trying to rebuild, knowing that this is not a time where they're, they have everything set. There's no security. There's nothing. They could be attacked. They could be taken over. That the reality is a hardship for them as they hear these words from Zechariah may not have helped them at that moment. And in essence, in, in their whole lifetime. So not only that, is that it was probably 500 years before the coming of Jesus. I said that in this lifetime of, of hearing that, of waiting and rejoicing, waiting for that goodness for these people, perhaps it's not very different sometimes from us. Of waiting, waiting for God, crying out to God, seeing seeing the horrors and the difficulties. And I remember talking to someone a while ago and he was uh, mentioning, oh man, you know, I feel like my friends are all, you know, moving forward in life and they're doing this X, Y, Z and the ways that they, they, they want to see in their lives. You know, I remember them saying that, oh, you know, they moved forward in their career after college. We all came together, but then now they're moving forward in their careers. Some of them getting married, some of them have kids, and they just felt, why not me, God? Why am I stuck right now? Why do I feel stuck? 
But then fast forward a couple years and, and seeing things come together, it, it, was, it was a reminder of God's goodness and his faithfulness. But yet it's not that different perhaps for these people of the struggle of the constant tension that they may be feeling. And for them, they didn't even see in their lifetime that they were waiting, they were seeking. Now, I think this, it's especially hard as what Andrew shared, especially hard as we think about this in the past events this past week, right? The shooting <clears throat> at an elementary school that I can't even imagine for, you know, for my children. And, you know, there was a tornado watch. Uh, you know, I got a text saying, hey, all the kids in school in Howard County, at least they're going to be sheltered. And even Jenny was at the library and they're telling, oh, no, you have to shelter in. There's a tornado. Just someone saw a touchdown. But that there is there's a struggle in the realities of what's difficult right now. And I'm reminded of what Pastor Allen shared, and this is something that has been sticking to me in, this, in these difficulties and this evil and the horrors, is that, <laughs> scholar says, the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance. You know, all this talk, that the, the past sermons about restoration, about judgment, that it comes together in ways that we can see and hope even when in our lifetime in current situations where sometimes we may feel numb, helpless, that things are not changing, that we can hope and trust from this passage, from the ways that God uses his prophets to speak to his people, that he's speaking to us and encouraging us of waiting and knowing, knowing that he has come and he will come, knowing that there will be <clears throat> peace, there will be judgment, that the evil that happens will not just get pushed aside, but that in this message, in this passage, we see that Jesus takes it upon himself. Right? But because of that, we can have this hope that we can rejoice and wait. I think that is something that is perhaps so hard you know, one thing that I'm reminded now sharing in our preaching, piloting preaching lab of this passage in Second Peter that Pastor Richard spoke a long time, a while ago. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It goes on in verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the, the day of the God, right? The desire that God come because we see the brokenness, we see the pain and the suffering, but that we can rejoice and wait for this King to come. That Zechariah is calling the people to rejoice, to wait, to see that although they didn't see it in their lifetimes, they know that they hope in a secure future. I think not much different than what we hope in the secure future, the day of the Lord coming and returning. And the, this way he will fulfill his promise and that this wait 
It's not meaningless, but it is patience, wishing that not, not any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That there's a desire for reaching this repentance, that God desires to draw people to him. And that that is what we rejoice in. And that's why Zechariah 9, he says, rejoice greatly, shout, see your king comes to you. That they can rejoice, they can shout, they can wait for the king coming. Even in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, of not seeing it happen already. Not seeing it happening yet. But in anticipation and waiting, I think this is what shows us the entrance of what Zechariah is talking about. I think it points out to a vision of a humble leader that I think is very encouraging for me this past week. The expectation and the reality of the coming king. Right? The expectation and the reality. The king comes, he says, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. His entrance into it is, is a way sometimes beyond what we can imagine for ourselves. We imagine this victorious, this righteous king, this one that, that what we see in the Lord of the Rings that, that comes in after victory with chariots, with horses, like marching in, celebrating, knowing the victory. We're looking for that. They're looking for that kind of king, but rather... Zechariah speaks to of a lowly and riding on a donkey. You know, lowly and riding on a donkey. I think this is something that I, I've been thinking a lot about. Is that what does that look like when you see Jesus? Will we recognize him? That he comes lowly and riding on a donkey. That his way of <clears throat> passage as he reveals himself, is not a victorious king, not one that breaks the bondage at that time of Roman rule, but rather he comes into Jerusalem. He comes in riding on a donkey that he passes through the life and the road of Calvary, right? And even this, as we ask ourselves, would we even recognize this Jesus in Isaiah 53, Verses two to five, it says this. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as the one who, with, from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace and with his wound, we are healed. I want you to see that, that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire. I think oftentimes I think about you know, when they have the Jesus movie or they present Jesus a certain way, you see them as, I'm sure they're casting someone that has, that looks 
majestic or has like a stature or beauty that we're drawn to him. But Isaiah says that he has no beauty that we should desire him. I wonder what that really looks like or how Jesus really looked like. That as we look upon to him, that would we have recognized him? This man riding into the Jerusalem on a donkey, would we have recognized the coming king? Will we recognize the king that's among us, right? If he were to come, that no beauty that we should desire him. And that was so convicting for me of just asking, what do I look for? What am I looking for when I think about Jesus and his coming? You know, the second coming is different than this. You know, than the, than the first when he came as, as a man and the ways that he humbly, lowly approached. But I do wonder, you know, as I question, as we're looking at the Israelites, that no wonder they may have missed, that they may not have seen or recognized Jesus. I wonder if we were to put ourselves in those shoes, in their shoes, had we, would we recognize him? is that as he moves in lowly and riding on donkey, will we recognize the king of kings? As we look upon Jesus, we rejoice and we ask for him to come. What are we expecting and what do we desire? Says he's lowly and riding on a donkey, that his road as he walked in, as he came, was a road to Calvary, was a road to the cross, right? It even says in Zechariah 9, verses 11, as, <clears throat> is that, and as for you also, because the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Set your prisoners free from this waterless pit, this, cave, this pit of dis despair of seeing nothing. Right, And that's blood of his, my covenant with you. It alludes to all, all of this. And Zechariah alludes to Jesus. And in, in our time, we can reflect back and see this, these connections. But at that time, for the people to hear, they may not have known. They were really looking. They were waiting. And I think that gives us, again, encouragement as we wait, as we see the things that are not happening the things that we desire, things that we see justice and we want God to judge the evil and the, the, the recklessness, the sin. But yet somehow we have to see that among ourselves. But that he came lowly and riding and in this way went to the cross. I think the way of Jesus was first through the cross. Right? And in that way, we merit, may mirror Christ's journey in the sense that we may encounter suffering and trials before victory. That as be, he became the victorious king, that it was through the valley of the crucifixion. It was, the, it was through his sacrifice and his debt, his blood on the cross that paid for our sins, that we are able to approach, we are able to have this life. This passage of the lowliness of Christ, he goes through this 
He encounters that he is entrances through it that gives us courage, gives us encouragement, gives us confidence that we can live through this. That even in the difficulties, even in our dark times, that we can see that there is, that we can rejoice for the king to come. There are valleys in our lives, and I think that something that we ought to remember and be reminded of. Perhaps you're in it right now, just feeling that, where, God, where are you? You've gone through some mountaintops experiences, but, you know, most of the time we're in the, the valleys, walking through and waiting and seeking God in the ordinary. And in those ways, in those times, I think it's essential of who Jesus is and how he comes, even in ways that they did not expect, but in ways that accomplishes God's purpose, perhaps could give us confidence in knowing what we don't expect, but knowing that God's purposes will be accomplished and will not fail. Because I think this is what is the last point that I want to make as we talk about a vision of a humble leader is this experience. Right? He comes, Zechariah speaks of this. He speaks to the people, and yet they did not see it, experience it. It comes through in the life of Jesus. But in the life of Jesus, I think he reveals the heart of God. And what do I mean by this? In Zechariah 9, this is a prophecy that he speaks of, is lowly and riding on a donkey. This is what Jesus <clears throat> displays and fulfills in his life in Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30, right? Or as he, as he goes in for before the passion. But this is another place where Jesus speaks of his heart, of who he is, not only in his action of the passion week and coming before, but this is a very specific place. The only distinction of him speaking of his heart is in Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is the time. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the only time where he really speaks of his heart, describes his heart. And he describes it as I am gentle and lowly in heart. Not only does the action of <clears throat> coming into Jerusalem on a donkey and what we see fulfilled in Zechariah, but he describes not just his action, but his heart as gentle and lowly. Right? This humbleness, this approach of who he is. There's this book, Gentle and Lowly, that I, I, I do recommend by Dane Ortland. And he speaks of this, of this, of who Jesus is, the ways that he describes himself of meek, of humble, of gentle, that we can approach him, that he is not harsh or reactionary looking and waiting to punish, but rather that he understands that if we see his whole life in the gospel and all four gospels, we see that he doesn't walk away from sin. He, rather, he walks towards sinners. He walks towards suffering. He welcomes them and he reaches out. He receives them that there are no prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. What we see is that Jesus approaches those who are hurting, those who cry out to him. And if anything, that really speaks to 
when he speaks of his gentle and lowly, is that that speaks to what he says, that is my heart. Not only his action speaks into that of what he has done, but rather he speaks of his heart, and that gives us so much confidence. Hope that encourages, brothers and sisters, of the, the, of the way that we can see the heart of God, how he describes and how we can approach him. I think oftentimes we see, perhaps we can feel this idea of guilt, of ways that we feel pressured to live in a certain way. Or even when we have sin of feeling God's there to punish or I'm going through these hard times. But that is not true. That is the lie of the, of the enemy. Of the ways that Jesus has revealed himself, the ways that he has spoken of his heart is gentle and lowly, where he receives us, where we could come before him. That we recognize that there's nothing that will have be a barrier between us and coming before him. That he receives that, and that is his heart that he has described. And we see that from Zechariah speaking truth of Jesus all the way into Jesus speaking of himself and his heart. And if anything, I hope that that encourages us wherever we are, that we can see that he is tender, open, welcoming, and understanding. Now, this is all taken in light, and this is why I've been really appreciating this series, because it shows so much of God's character that what we see in Pastor Allen, what he sees, what we saw, heard from Pastor Mike, Michael, justification of suffering, of evil, of justice, all comes together at the same time of his heart. His heart for restoration, his heart for renewal, his heart for people to come into repentance before him. And that is something that... <clears throat> speaks so much in a time where there's so much division, hurt, and pain. And perhaps people are leaving the churches because they've, we as Christians push them further away from the way that who God really is. That we, we respond in judgment in ways of this is what you should and should not do, but rather Jesus receives them and restores. That we can be reminded not that we can do it, but that God can do it. He showed himself to do this, who he is, and that he is that to us. That in that way, we can live out this new life. The gospel in, this, in the Zechariah, we see the vision of a humble leader. We see it as that he speaks to rejoice in this anticipation, this waiting, but not yet seeing is encouragement for us as we wait, as we call out, as we cry out to God. That he hears, he knows, and he answers. That his entrance into this world was one of meekness, of humility. That his plan and his purpose was through the cross, perhaps not what people were expecting. They were expecting this righteous this king, this victorious one that will dismantle the Roman Empire. But who he is as he went through the cross is that he atoned and paid for all the sins. A man that was perfect, dying for our sins. And his entrance in the ways that his plans are, 
may not be what we expect, even in what we're going through. And lastly, his, this humble leader, the experience, the experience of seeing that Jesus welcomes and is meek and lowly in ways that we can always approach him. There's never a sin that has brought us so far away from him that he does not desire to draw us into him and repent and move towards him. I think that, that's what he shows of who he is, and I hope that that is an encouragement as we look more and more, is that the last few chapters of Zechariah speaks of him coming, the second coming, and speaks of the victory and speaks of this as all of an encouragement for us of this coming, of this peace, of this victory that will come, even in the midst of pain and suffering right now. And let's take that to heart and wait and depend on him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, the way that you revealed your heart. That if we knew your heart, that we would know that we can always approach you. That you are not a father in heaven waiting for us to mess up, to punish us, waiting for that judgment, but rather you are a father, patient, loving, desiring for us to move towards repentance, desiring for people to move towards repentance, to come to know you, that this relationship with you transforms our lives, Lord, of who you speak of, that we <clears throat> who are wrestling and perhaps feeling the burden, feeling the difficulties in life, feeling the heaviness in life, that we could come before you and receive this rest that you have promised, that we would take upon your yoke and learn from you, that we can experience that rest that you speak of, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Lord, help us to see that that is your heart, of who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are gracious and merciful. We thank you that you are bigger than all that we can imagine and in our plans of what we desire to see. And that your purpose is never fail. And so, Lord, we come before you, Lord, in awe, in reverence, that we would see your heart, not what the world sees, but how you describe yourself, your spirit in our lives, and we would see this as life-giving. Not as a constraint, not as rules, but as new life.
So we thank you, Lord, that that is what you promise and that your promises never fail. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.